You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark 3 is where we're going to be, so it would be helpful if you'd have that out and open on your lap there. Mark chapter 3. And as you're turning there, every time we have a moment like this where our entire thank you, our entire church family is gathered, I cannot help but think back to like five years ago when there's literally like 20 adults in a living room, and all we have is a hope and a big God. That's it. And uh, just to see God do, you know, I I tell church planners this all the time, that you literally need, for a church to make it, you need God to do a a series of about 100 miracles just for you to become self-sustaining. And just to know that God has done that for us, that we have a kind God that has given us great mercy as a church family. It is really remarkable. And I I can't help but look, you know, at a group like this, a room like this, without having just a deepened sense of God has been so good to us. God has been so kind to us. Um, So we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. Here's here's the goal um, today. I want to read this passage. We're going to pray, and then I want to chat with you about a few things out of it. And I'm praying that God would use this to really bring some clarity to what we are as a church. Okay, so here it is, Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 20. So verse 20 and 21 kind of give us a context. For this passage, so so starting in verse 20, it says this. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not, so that they could not even eat. So this is the sort of pressing nature of ministry for Jesus. Verse 21. And when his family heard about it, they went out to seize him. That's a violent word. We got something wrong, they're about to do something about it. They went out to seize him, for they were saying, Jesus is out of his mind. He's lost it. Now, in in between verse 21 and verse 31 is a really hard saying about um, this unpardonable sin. Then you get to verse 31. That's where we're picking it back up. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Who is family for me? Verse 34, here's the answer. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, might you right now take this passage and press it into the deepest parts of our soul. God, I pray that you would do in this moment what preaching cannot do what talking cannot do, what listening to a sermon cannot do, God, that you would do right now in this moment only what you can do, and that is change us, transform us, grow us, conform us more and more into the image of Jesus, renew the way that we think about our life, change our minds about the way we think about our life. God, might you right now align us with how you see the world, with how you see the church, with how you see us. God, convince us of that. Please, right now, would you do that, Spirit of God? And it's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Okay, so to get the context of this passage, you have to put yourself into the shoes of Jesus' family. So you have to get there. You have to get inside the shoes and the mind and the head of, like, a mom, and Jesus is the son. You're his brother, you know, and and you're looking at your brother, and, and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. You've got to put yourself into their shoes, and that's what 20 and 21 help us do. 
They're watching Jesus do his thing, and they're literally thinking in verse 21 and 22, this guy's lost it. That, that word seizing is a violent word. They have come to stop things. They, they have come to put a halt on what Jesus is doing. Now, you, you skip down to verse 31 now, and they found Jesus. So, so they've come to Jesus in verse 31, and the family tension kind of resumes here. So they're, they're about to seize him because they don't know what he's doing in, in 20 and 21. Then verse 31, the, the tension resumes. And what you have in verse 31 is the family of Jesus, like the, the biological family that the family Jesus grew up in. You have that family on the outside, and you have the disciples on the inside. And that just didn't feel good to anyone. His mother and his brothers just didn't like the feeling of that. They're on the outside. That the disciples are on the inside, and there's a whole crowd in between Jesus and, and, his, and his kind of family by birth. So, so this is the setting that you, that you have here. And then you get down to verse 32, and they have called out for, for, for Jesus. That they've come and they've sent word to the disciples, that, and, and you know, the disciples have conveyed it to Jesus that your family is seeking you. Now that word seeking is used 10 times in, in the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark. And virtually every one of those times, it's in a negative sort of a, a, a connotation. So it's not, this seeking is not a, Jesus, we've come to drop off a letter of encouragement. We, we hope you feel good about your ministry today. It's not that. That they have come to, to convince him that this is crazy. What are, what are you doing, Jesus? It's that kind of a seeking. Now you get down to verse 33, and this is where the shocking response happens. So that Jesus has just got word, his family's out there, like his mom, his brothers are out there, they're, they're seeking him. And in response to that, you get verse 33 where Jesus asks the question, well, who are, like who is my family? Who, who is my mother and my brothers? Like who are those people? Then you see it answered in verse 34 and 35. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now what would you think is about to happen? You would think he's about to say, they're right outside. Everyone see, the, see those guys right outside? That's them. That's what you would be expecting him to say. But then you get this shocking verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That is not the way that passage is supposed to go. If you're Jesus' family, if you're, if you're like the mom, you're the brothers on the outside, you are not expecting verse 35 to be said. So among a lot of other things that Jesus is doing in verses 34 and 35, here is the main one. You cut it to the core. This is the main thing that's happening in verse 35. Jesus is radically redefining family for us. Now hear that. Here is the, the big thing going on in this passage is Jesus is radically redefining how we think about family. Radically redefining who family is for a Christian. So I want to take this in three parts. I want to try to be as brief as possible. I want to take this in three quick parts this morning. Here's the first one. In, in, under this heading of Jesus redefining family for us, here, here's what we see in, in verses 34 and 35, is that Jesus actually calls us family. That he's actually looking at, at, at people following him saying, that this is family, like Christians. That, that's who my family is. He's radically redefining how we think about family, and he's calling us family as opposed to, to biological family, but family he grew up in. And so maybe you could think about it this way. When, when, kind of when you're thinking about Jesus calling us family, I think it's important that you have a, a growing sense of that there's really two ways to think about family. There, there's two ways the Bible would talk about family. And one is we might call our family by birth. So that's the family you grew up in. It's your biological family. If you're adopted in the room, it's your adopted family. It's the family that you have done life with as it shaped your, your kind of growing up, 
Okay, that's your family by birth. And, and before we even go on any further, um, you know, there is a family by rebirth, by, by, by Jesus saving us. But before we talk about family by rebirth, by, by Jesus' rescue, I, I think it's worth clarifying that this passage is not the only thing the Bible says about our family by birth. The, the Bible, Jesus, God, is really pro our family by birth. It's a big deal to God. It is foundational to our life. It's one of the biggest influencers and shapers to our life. So the Bible is pro your family by birth. Jesus is pro your family by birth. You know, this is why at Stonegate we talk a lot about this idea of pastoring in the home. And we care about that because God really does care about that. Your family by birth is really, really, really important. But hear this clarification. So you've got family by birth and family by rebirth. Now, now hear what Jesus is clarifying here. When he's calling us family, here is what Jesus is saying in this passage. That family by birth doesn't come first. That your, in, in, in the Christian economy, your family by birth, the, the family you grew up with, your biological or adoptive, like that family, that does not come first in the Christian life. It's like Jesus is drawing a line in the sand here and he is clarifying. There are things that are ultimate in our life and your family by birth is not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. That, that's your ultimate allegiance, not, not your family by birth. Your family by birth does not come first. Your family by birth is very important. Okay, it's, it's, it's something in the Bible, but it's not everything. It's not ultimate. It's important, but not ultimate. Okay, we seeing that? Here, this is what he's clarifying. That it just, it, it's important, but it doesn't come first in your life or in my life, our family by birth. Now, this is walking us into um, what I think is a much-needed conversation in our culture. I don't think it's a stretch to say that family idolatry may be the most acceptable and respectable sin among conservative sort of churches like ours. Family idolatry may be the most respected and acceptable sin among churches like ours. Now hear that. Sailor, right there for a second. Linger over that. Now, what is idolatry? Idolatry is making a good thing into a God thing. And family has a really good, it's got this propensity embedded into it of us taking that really good thing and making it an ultimate thing. And as soon as it becomes an ultimate thing, we have now stepped into to family idolatry. We begin to look to our family to give us what only God could give us. That sense of identity and worth and value, we begin to looking, you know, looking to family to give us those things when, when in reality only God can give us that deepest sense of identity and worth and value. But family in our culture has this propensity to draw us over into idolatry. So if we're single, it sounds like this. I have to be married to, to have a full life. I have to. If I'm not married, there is no way I could have a full life. It, when you do get married, you, you soon begin to realize that that girl, that guy is not going to do it. So we begin to attach it to kids. And it begins to take on this, this kids are, are my life thing. This whole thing of, of kids being at the center of everything. And it sounds like this for a lot of parents. I am only okay if my kids are happy and I'm happy with my kids. That if, if that's not true, then I'm not okay. That I'm not going to survive. That's what it sounds like in terms of family. It's interesting. Um, a, a lady named Elizabeth Colbert, writing in the New Yorker magazine, she, she made this observation. And just tell me if this is not our culture. She said it like this. She said, with the exception of the imperial offspring of the Ming dynasty and the kids of pre-revolutionary France, 
Contemporary American kids may represent the most indulged young people in the history of the world. Sailor right there. She goes on. It's not just that they've been given unprecedented amounts of stuff. They've also been given or granted unprecedented authority. Parents, like listen to this reversal. Parents want their kids' approval, a reversal of the past ideal of children striving for their parents' approval. See, if the previous, you know, the era of the previous generation was to totally ignore kids, the era, you know, the era of our generation is to totally like put everything around kids, to make kids the center of the universe. And those are both equally, you know, wrong. They're both errors. Now, ignoring kids as if you just lock them up in the basement and hope they come out okay, that's wrong. And to make kids the center of everything, that's wrong. Neither one of those are God's ideal for how we relate to our family. Right? I love how one guy said it. He said, we don't live in a patriarchal society. We don't live in a matriarchal society. We live in a kidriarchal society. That's the world that we live in. Our schedules revolve around kids. Our, our life revolves around kids. Our everything revolves around kids. Everything, they're at the center of the universe. And if that's how you're operating with your kids, I hear this. If that's how you're operating with your kids, you didn't learn that from God. You learned that from our culture. And I think there is a healthy correction that needs to happen in many of our lives to say, if our kids aren't in 15 select sports, we haven't failed as a parent. I think we just need to feel that. That if they're not, they're not in everything, it doesn't mean that you have totally like failed as a human being and as a parent. So, so kids have a great place in our life. We ought to love our kids. We ought to love our family by birth. We ought to, I mean, it is a good, thing in the Bible. It's just not an ultimate thing in the Bible. It's not the driver in the Bible. It's not the thing that should be our ultimate motivator and where we're finding our deepest sense of identity and worth and, and all of that. It's, it's a thing in the Bible, but it just doesn't come first. Hey, you know, when I think about church testimonies, now think about the, the predominant sort of testimonies that you hear in the church. I think that the predominant ones that you hear sound something like, man, I was all into these things. Maybe it was career, maybe it was money, maybe it was pornography, maybe it was alcohol. I was all into these things that are just, man, it's, it's pretty clear that that's not what you'd be wanting, you know, wanting to do with your life. And, and God rescued me. He redeemed me out of those things. I'm no longer enslaved to those things. And I, I feel a new you know, kind of measure of freedom in my life. We, we hear those sort of stories all the time. But do you know a story that I've never heard in the church? And I think this passage would, would lead us into saying, in our culture, it should be happening a lot more is this story. My total sense of identity and worth was wrapped around family by birth. It's where I was seeking value in kids and marriage and a spouse and a whatever. So where I was seeking all my value, placing all my hope, and the most wonderful thing has happened. God has redeemed me from that. God has changed the way I think about that. I no longer am like living out of a, I desperately need my family by birth to give me all of these things. But I'm actually looking to God now to give me all of these things. And now I'm actually freed up to serve my family by birth. I've never heard that story in the church. Never heard that, that, that story go down. Some of you have seen um, that old movie Family Man with Nicolas Cage in it. You remember that? And, you know, the basic storyline is, um, you know, Nicolas Cage is this billionaire guy. Uh, you know, he's got all the money. He's got, all, he's got everything he could possibly want. He's the, the leader of this organization making all sorts of money. Um, but he's an absolute jerk. 
and uh, kind of the, the whole plot revolves around, he enters into this alternate universe sort of a thing where he goes back 13 years and he says yes to this lady that he said no to so he could pursue his career. But he's back at that little fork in the road and he says yes to her. And he wakes up and he's a tire salesman. He's broke. I mean, just all of that. I mean, it's just scraping by all that. But he has a family. And he starts out in the family, man, when this alternate universe thing happens, he starts out just hating every second of it. He can't stand the fact that he's not living the fast life with the fast cars, all of this stuff happening. He can't stand that. But as the movie goes on, he begins to settle into, like, man, th this is a good thing. I I'm going to stay in this world of saying yes to this woman and being broke but having a family. Now, when I'm watching that movie, and I'm just projecting on you when you're watching that movie, there is something deep inside of us that resonates and says, yes to that. Like, don't be an idiot. Don't pursue the fast life with the fast cars. It's not as important as your family by birth. Go with your family by birth. There's something deep in me in that moment that resonates with that. Yes, that's, that's great. Do, do this. But here is my fear, and I think this happens to a lot of us, that just like Nicolas Cage in the movie, all we have done is swap one idol for another. We've taken career and said, no to career, I'm not gonna do that. And we've just traded that idol for the idol of family. And here's the message of the Bible. Jesus is looking at us saying, I, I don't want you to trade idols. I want you to trade all of your idols and come worship me. That, that's the goal. Not to say no to career so we can center our life and our family, but to say no to everything that would present a center your life on me and to center our life on Jesus instead. That's the aim of the scriptures. And this is what this passage is reminding us of. Our family by birth is something, it's just not an ultimate thing. It's not the center thing. It's not the most important thing. So family by birth doesn't come first. Now here's the second kind of implication of Jesus calling us family is that our family by rebirth, so this is family by God's rescue, our family by rebirth is more real and more lasting than our family by birth. Now, Selah, think on that for just a minute. Jesus is walking us into something that is profound, that we need to settle our minds on, that we need to grab a hold of, and we need to begin asking questions about how do, how do we do this then? If this is true, what would this look like and mean for our life? Family by rebirth is more real and more lasting than family by birth. That's the shocking reality of this passage. Jesus is looking at, at the people in the crowd and us this morning and saying, your family by rebirth, your family by my rescue and redemption, that family, your, your church family, that family is more lasting and more durable than your family by birth. Isn't that something? I, in, in a sense, Jesus is opening up the window into eternity and he's showing us how we will feel about family in a million years from now. He's showing us how we're gonna feel about family in heaven. And in heaven, he is showing us that your family by birth will be a thing, but it will not be the big thing. What will be the big thing in heaven is your family by rebirth. That's what he's showing us. Now, there's, you know, now, just think about this in your life. Does your life reflect that? That the most durable family, the most lasting family is your family by rebirth? Is your life geared around that? Are, are you pressing into that? Well, maybe you could think of it this way. When you think about your life, are you believing and living out and living into 
that the most durable, lasting family that I'm a part of, if you're a Christian, is not your family by birth, but your family by rebirth. Does it really have that sort of deep value here? I mean, Jesus in this passage is showing, this is valuable to me. I'm looking at the mother who birthed me, and I'm saying in this moment, here's family. This is the most lasting family, the most durable family, the most intimate family, not that one. I mean, Jesus is making a really stark statement there. And I think it should beg that question of, are we living into that? Are, are we stepping into that? Do we value our family by rebirth like Jesus is valuing the family by rebirth? So Jesus calls us family. This is not the only thing he does in this passage. It's not just that Jesus calls us family. The great news of the gospel is that Jesus makes us family. Now look at verses 34 and 35, because on the surface, I think they can have a confusing, sort of lead you down a road that you need to be careful of. Look at verse 34 and 35. Jesus makes us family. Look at this, verse 34. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Now, verse 35 can be a little confusing on the surface. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So what is Jesus saying here? Is Jesus saying that we step into and become a part of the family of God by our doing, by by something we do? Is that what Jesus is saying? Or is he saying, no, it's something like coming into the family of God is all dependent on something I have done. But which of those two is it? And let me just clarify, it is by what Jesus has done, not by your doing. And Jesus is totally right to do this. He's totally right to say that that one of the evidences of a changed heart in us is that we begin to obey God. We begin to live after God. We begin to say yes to God, not no to God. That is one of the fruits of you actually being a Christian, God actually changing and rewiring the deep parts of your heart. That is one of the fruits of that. And Jesus is looking at the fruit and just saying, man, it's the people who obey, knowing that that obedience is connected down into something really deep that God does for us. So let me just explain that because this passage is not meant to explain how do we come into the family of God. Other places in the Bible do that very well. Like Ephesians 1 and 2 are one of my favorite spots for this. Ephesians 1 says this. In Ephesians 1, 5, um, God says through Paul, I have predestined you for adoption. In other words, before time even began, I set my affection on you. I am committed to breaking down everything that exists between you and me. This is what God is saying. Every hard place of your heart, I have I have set my mind to every hard place breaking through, every cold place thawing. I have set my mind to that. I'm so committed to that that I'm sending my one and only son to live perfectly for you, the life you couldn't live but should have lived. I'm sending Jesus to do that for you, my one and only son. I'm so committed to to bringing you into my family that, that I've commissioned Jesus to die for your sin. He gets the death that our sin deserved. And I'm raising Jesus from from the dead. Just as a foretaste of what life will one day be like in my kingdom. Because this this is how committed God is to bringing us into his family. Enough so that he would send his son to purchase it, to accomplish it for us. And then Ephesians 2 shows us the way in. It's us now throwing our life in faith upon what Jesus has done for us that gets us into the family. It's nothing that we do. It's throwing our life upon what Jesus has done. That's how we enter into the kingdom of God. This is what faith is in the Bible. It's what believing is in the Bible. It's taking all of our life and saying, God, I need help. And it's coming with the empty hands of faith, knowing that we contribute nothing to our salvation but the sin that makes it work, you know, makes us need it. And it's taking all of that and it's saying, God, 
I need help, and it's hurling your life upon Jesus. This is what faith is in the Bible. It's what repentance is. It's turning from our old way and throwing our life upon Jesus. And in that moment, the Bible says you are saved. You are rescued. You are redeemed. And you are now adopted into the family of God. God, in a very real sense, becomes your father. I love how John says it in, in John 1.12. To any who receive him, to believe, you know, any who believe in the name of Jesus, you now have the right to become children of God. That God now becomes our father, Jesus becomes our big brother, and guess what that makes all of us in the room? Family. We're now brothers and sisters of one another. For every Christian, we are now knit into this big family with, with God as our father, Jesus as our big brother. In a very real sense, listen to this, Jesus really does make us family. I look around this room right now. Just take a look around this room for a second. In a million years from now, this will be the family that's emphasized in your life. In a billion years from now, when you think family, this is who you're going to think. Now, isn't that something? Jesus is saying, this is what I've made you. You are family. This is what you are now. Last thing, and then we'll, we'll finish up here. In light of Jesus calling his family and making his family, we now have this joyful privilege We've been called into this to actually live like family, to actually become practically what God has made us positionally. See, positionally, we are brothers and sisters in this room, but practically, a lot of us don't know one another very well. A lot of us are still living really independent lives, not interwoven into a family. So, so we now have this joyful privilege of practically becoming what God has already made us positionally. Now, I want to end just really practical down on the ground, which is three ways that I think would be helpful for us to think about, you know, living into this and, and pressing into this. Three ways to go about more and more practically becoming what God has already made us positionally. Here's the first one. If we're ever going to become family as a church, practically become family, it means and it requires a real pursuit of that. It requires us pursuing it us pressing into that, us being intentional with that. It requires that. I, you know, I think when most, most people come into a, a church like this, with a group of people like this, there is a sense in most of us that is saying this, I would really love to develop deep friendships across this church family. I, I would really love for this place to actually become like family to me. But here's the problem most of us have. We want that handed to us on a silver platter. Now I want you to look me right in the face here and hear this. You cannot hand deep friendships to anyone on a silver platter. Deep friendships, for this to actually be, it has to be pursued. You, you have to step into that. You have to run into that. You have to be intentional with that. It doesn't just happen. Like, let me just give you a picture of most lives in this room. Here's most lives in this room. Some version of this, you get up early, you eat breakfast, you go out into the garage, you get in your car, you drive to work, you work all day, it's like 6, 6.30, you get home somewhere between 6.30 and 7 or 7.30, you eat dinner, you try to love on your family by birth a little bit, and you go to bed and you get up the next day and do it all over again. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, your life is crazier than that. This is what life looks like for most of us in the room. Now, now think about this. When, when you strap a family by birth onto your shoulders, you strap a work week onto your shoulders, do you know what that does for most of us? 
It puts us in a position where we start thinking like this. Let's circle the wagons around family by birth and just make sure that's okay. Let's kind of pull everything in and just make sure this little little thing right here, we're we're doing okay here. Do you see how the path of, of like least resistance is going to always lead you toward an inwardness, a circle the wagon sort of thing? If you don't pull hard against that, that circle the wagons mentality, we're never going to become family as a church. We're never gonna become practically what God has made us positionally. It actually takes us pursuing that. Us striving for that. I mean, think about the one another's in the New Testament. There's 59 of them. But let me just give you a sampling of them. Love one another, John 13, 34. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Romans 12, uh, 12 10. Serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. Carry each other's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. Be patient with one another, Ephesians 4, 2. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds, Hebrews 10, 24. Now, we could go on. There's 59 of those. Now, those 59 one another's are not just meant to be practiced among your family by birth. To live in those one another's, it means that you are practicing those one another's in your family by rebirth as well. Like, to be obedient to those things means here's a church family, and I'm doing those things among this church family. See, we, and that takes intentional pursuit. It takes prioritizing that. It, it actually requires you thinking about how am I going to devote myself to this church family this week? How am I going to love these people this week? How am I going to stir up love and good works in these people this week? See, if you don't think about that, if you don't pull the rope against family by birth, you're going to do the inward thing, just kind of making do in this little family, not the family that Jesus emphasizes for all eternity. So it's got to be actively pursued. Let me just give you a couple of ideas for, for how I, I'm praying that more and more our church family would step into these sort of things. Here's one idea. Is one time a month, what if you just had someone in this church family over to your house? You just opened up a night and had them over for dinner. Someone you know, kind of know, don't know, you have them over for dinner. What if one time a month you just said, this is going to be the Sunday where our family, we're going to find someone this morning who can go out to lunch with us after we finish worshiping together. Just one time a month, let's find someone. Maybe it's a new guest that you meet that morning and you give an invite to go out with your family to lunch that day. I just think it would be so helpful for our church family if some of these sort of things are being practiced. Uh, Let me give you one more. What if every week you, you pray for our church And you pray asking this question to God. What is one thing I can do this week to stir up love and good works among this body of believers? My home group, the people I serve with at Stonegate. What what is one thing I can do this week? See, if you don't pull the rope against family by birth, you're going to live here. All of those answers are going to be done here. When God is saying, no, I want you to do that here. Yes, your family by birth. But I also want you to do it here in your family by rebirth, your church family. So, so it's got to be pursued. It's not, we're not just going to stumble into this. We're going to have to pursue that, live into that, press into that. So it requires pursuit. Here's the second thing. It requires honesty. One of the defining things when I think about family, one of the defining marks of family is that you are known, both the good and the bad of you. And the good part of us, we love for people to know that, don't we? We love people celebrating our awesomeness. The bad part of us, that, that, that's a whole other thing. I mentioned this a few months ago that 
I was talking with a friend here recently, and he, uh, he was talking about a, f- a family member of his who ha- basically had a nervous breakdown, just crumbled, just life happened and just couldn't handle it, just a, a, oh, such a hard moment for her. And her first thought in going through that, just crumbling in life, her first thought was, I cannot let my church know this. And I think that is so often how many of us relate to our church family. And if that's, okay, listen to this. If that's how you think about your church family, they can just know the good, they can't know the bad. If that's how you think about your church family, it's not yet family practically to you yet. See, when when church actually becomes family, it practically becomes family, it means that you're giving both the good and the bad of you. And here's the truth in this room right now. There's all sorts of craziness happening in our life. I was just telling Laura last night about just some insecurities that I'd felt over the last day. I mean, that's happening in all of us. There's marriage issues happening. There's financial issues happening. There is all sorts of things happening in this room this morning. And you know what most of us are going to do? We're going to put a face on that says our life is together and we're going to come in and do this on Sunday morning and we're going to leave. And listen to me, that would be a travesty. If, if there's a part of you this morning that feels like, man, I am so dysfunctional. I've got so many issues. It's unbelievable. If that's you, know this, you're in great company. That's all of us. That's all of us. So in all of our lives, here's the things we need to grow up in Jesus. We need gospel continual exposures to the good news of Jesus. We need safety, safe places for people to know not just the good, but the bad in us. And we need time. We need people to be patient enough with us to allow us to grow. That's what we all need. So can I just encourage you, don't leave. If you've got issues going on in your life, don't leave here this morning without talking to someone about that. Don't put on the face. You don't have to do that. And here's the last practical thing. It requires patience. For us to ever grow up as a family together, for that to happen, it requires you and I to be extremely patient with one another. I was just thinking this morning about this moment growing up where I looked at my mom and said, "Um, I wish I were never born as opposed to being in this family. I remember saying that to her. And you know that like in this sort of a family, and by the way, that's just a glimpse of how hard family is, isn't it? People say dumb things like that. That's just a glimpse of it. And just like growing up as a, as a biological family, as a family by birth, requires all sorts of patience. If parents didn't have patience with their kids, they'd kill them. And if kids didn't have patience with their parents, it goes so bad. It takes patience for a family to be a family. And that same thing is true for a church. Yeah, okay, I want you to take one more look around the room. These are the people that you're going to be with for the next thousand, billion, million years, right? This, this is it. This is going to be the family that's emphasized. They look so sweet sitting right there, don't they? They look awesome. And I say this continually because I want you to remember this. Now look at me right here. I want, you, I want this, this idea to be embedded into our culture and for you to expect this. That those sweet people sitting beside you are the same people that are going to kick you when you're down, going to stab you right in the back when you least expected it. That's going to happen. And if your response to that is, they've upset me, therefore I'm out. If that's your response, we will never be a family here. Never going to happen. Can you imagine if like growing up, just think of like your siblings growing up. Can you imagine if you're kind of how you operate in your family was, they made me mad, I'm out of this family. Can you imagine, you wouldn't have a family. Your family would have no hope. And in the same way, if your response is, they hurt me, therefore I'm out, you'll never have a good church family. 
You'll never, it'll never, a church family will never practically become what it positionally is. It takes a lot of patience. It takes endurance. It takes you right now making like this little mental leap. I know these people are going to hurt me and when they do it, I'm gonna stick in with them. That's the only way we'll ever become a family here. Let me close with this. When you think about family by birth, like the family you grew up in, there, there is no doubt your family by birth has been one of the biggest shapers of your life. This is the reason that in premarital, uh, like our premarital stuff that we do here, we have a little section on family of origin. Like just talk about how your family handled things, what they did, how they handled conflict, how they responded to this, that, and all, you know, all these sort of things. And here's the reason that we do that. Because you, you're, the family you grew up in is how you're establishing the rhythms of how I'm going to respond to those things. So if you get married to another human being, it's really helpful to know how did their family respond to this? Because here's what you can expect. That's going to be their default way of responding to it as well. So if, if you grew up in a family of origin that like everyone yells, chances are when things start happening, you're going to be a yeller, right? This is just how family of origin works. It's a big time influencer and shaper in our life. Now here's what I'm about to say next. When it comes to your Christian life, your life after God, there is no replacement for your family by rebirth. It is a massive shaper. You will never become all that God has designed you to be apart from a good family by rebirth. You'll never do it. Can you imagine where David would have ended his life had not Nathan have confronted him? Could you imagine where Peter would have gone in the New Testament had Paul in Galatians 2 not confronted him? Can you imagine um, the early church, how they would have ever have survived apart from gathering together to encourage one another in the midst of intense suffering? I was talking to a lady here recently who just is in a very difficult season of her life and just trying to encourage her and trying to do everything we can to help her. And at one point she said, you know, Stonegate is the only family I have. There is no way I would make it in this season apart from that. And do you feel, I feel that. When I think about the last two decades of my life, I am 100% convinced that I would not have made it apart from a great family by rebirth, a church family. I'm convinced of that. So can we as a church family make the decision this morning to grow into what God has made us already? Can we press into that? Can we move into that, live into that? Can we start pursuing that? Can we make that one of our ambitions in our life is to make this church family all that God has already made it? Can we do that together? Let's pray. I want to give you just a moment here to allow the Spirit of God to press you and to speak into you right now to confirm the things that were helpful this morning and to wipe away the things that were just of me and not helpful. And There is no doubt that in my mind, there are some people in this room who you're, you think you're in the family of God and the truth is you are not yet in the family of God. You have depended on your good works. You've depended on church. You've depended on growing up in a family that kind of is familiar with the things of God. But there's never been a moment where you personally have stepped across the line of faith. There is no doubt that there is, in my mind, deception in this room on that issue. So, so maybe before we do anything else, just ask yourself that question. This morning, am I actually in the family of God? 
And the Bible is so clear on what that requires and what that means. It means that, that this is what faith is. This is what belief is in the Bible. This is what repentance is. It's turning from your sin, all of your old way of living and relating to God, and it's throwing your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the only way to be right with God and to be a part of his family. And some of you have been kicking the tires on that. You've been contemplating that. You've been thinking about that. And this morning would be such a great time for you to do that. We would love to celebrate that with you. We'd love to be able to welcome you into this family like that. And so if that's you this morning, it's just real simple. Right there where you are, you can pray to God. You, you can express your need for help and your faith in Jesus. And the, the great news of the Bible is like right now in this moment, God can save you. God will adopt you. You can actually become a child of God and a part of the family of God right now this morning. And for the rest of us in the room, that would mean that we, we have become part of the family of God, and now we get to grow up into that. And so maybe just as a place to start, are you harboring any sort of bitterness and resentment with people among our family here? Any area of your heart that's just holding a grudge, just not, not willing to let that go? They've, this person's hurt me. They've said that. They've done this. They haven't done that. They didn't say what I wanted them to say. Any part of you harboring those sort of feelings and thoughts and What us growing up into family means is that we begin to let go of those things. We take those to God. We repent of those. We express our want to the person of reconciliation. Can I just urge you not to be passive on that? If that's you this morning, I mean, the Bible is like pretty clear in Matthew chapter 5. Like Jesus says, hey, before you come to the altar and try to do things with me, hey, why don't you take care of it with your brother that you have a problem with? Why don't you take care of it with the sister that you have a problem with? So if, that, if that's you, can I just urge you to not leave this building today without, without pursuing that, without running toward that, without addressing that? Maybe you could ask yourself the question, like, what, what would it look like in my life to begin pursuing that? And, and listen, that doesn't start with you doing something. It starts first with you repenting of something. God, God where... These things have become more important to me than, than my church family. These priorities have gotten all out of shape in my life. So God, I'm turning from that and I'm, I'm living under what you've revealed in your word of the most important family. And then we begin to ask the question, what does it look like for me to pursue that? What does it look like for me to press into that, to, to live into that, to, to actually pursue this group of people as a family? Maybe you can just right now pray for the grace that you're going to need to live like a family. And if, if you want, what I, I think this is the best test of whether or not you've got authentic faith in you. Like God has actually done a work in your heart and saved you. It's to get around a group of people like a church family like this and to love them not for like a day, not a week, not a month, but for the rest of your life. 
And if you do that well, I am pretty sure that you can be confident that God has actually changed your heart. And so, Father, I'm just praying right now for us in this room, God, that you would help us in this. God, that you would help us grow into the family that you have made us. God, we, we tell you right now that we are believing that we are family. And God, we want to practically become more of that. We want the feel and the ethos and the vibe of this place to be familial, to feel like a family. So God, will you give each one of us the insight we need and how to contribute to that? And it's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.